We've come to the last night of our very brief gospel meeting, and Charlotte and I want you to know we're so very thankful for the kind way that you received us here and treated us and fed us this week, and for the wonderful fellowship that we've had in the Lord Jesus Christ in this place. Uh, Charlotte and I first came uh, to visit here, I think it's about three years ago, and this is our third visit here. We always enjoy coming. We always appreciate so much the work that is being done here. And for those of you that keep the work going, we appreciate you and we're thankful for you and thankful that brethren have a place to meet here in this area. Uh, Charlotte and I are already finding ourselves endeared to so many of you uh, with the time that we've been able to spend together. Several have fed us and looked after us and encouraged us and and given us encouragement this week, and we appreciate that so very much. We'll have to leave uh, tomorrow to head back to our home, and so we'll be thinking about you as we leave in the morning, and I know you'll be thinking about us and praying for us, and we appreciate that so very much. If God allows us to continue to live and we have the time, um, we know that we'd like to come back someday and visit again, and it's always pleasant to be in this area and to know you have friends and that you have brethren that care about the same things that you do. Tonight we're looking at heaven and what heaven will be like. It's uh, wonderful to sing the song, How beautiful heaven must be, sweet home of the happy and free, fair haven of rest for the weary, how beautiful heaven must be. But it's even more wonderful to have the reassuring words of the Lord in this regard. Singing songs about heaven, I think, is one of the best ways that we could study about it. But certainly we know that our faith is rooted in the things that we have and the word that God has given to us. And one of the most important statements about heaven, I believe, are those that were given to John, the apostle. In Revelation chapter 21, I read verses 1 through 7. John writes and said, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. For these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Certainly those have to be encouraging words for all of us who want to go to heaven. They have to be some of the most important words that we will ever consider. Our relationship with God now is one of a father and a child, or a son of God. 
But we recognize that it will be that made perfect, that made complete. Now we only have a foretaste of it, but someday it will be actual, and we'll see our Father face to face, and we'll recognize all that we've been led to believe and do has culminated in the reward of being in heaven with God Himself. You know, I believe there is a longing for most believers to know what heaven is going to be like after this life is over when we have our eventual re reward. Heaven is a place that we wonder about and ask questions about. I've often been asked so many questions about heaven. I've been asked, what will we do in heaven? And all I can do is read in Revelation about what I see happening there in the revelation that was given to John, singing praises and working for the Lord. And, and that's enough for me. That satisfies my mind. I know it's going to be even greater than what we see in that scene that is sketched for us in the book of Revelation. A little boy in a young Bible class I taught in vacation Bible school once asked me, will we really like it in heaven? And I said, sure enough. And there's no doubt about it if we're able to go there. But the important thing is to make sure that we get there. We'll never realize just how wonderful it will be until we can go to that place. A teenager once asked me, will we ever get tired and bored in eternity? And I said, no, only at home with your parents. Because <laughs> I, I think that's really what he had experienced. And he was afraid it might be like that in heaven. But I don't imagine any of us would ever be bored or we'd ever get tired and want to leave that beautiful place. Then there's the age-old question that so many people ask. Will we know one another in heaven? Will I know my loved ones? Will we recognize one another in heaven? And I believe that it's better for us to just realize that God has some wonderful surprises for us. And heaven is going to be beautiful and wonderful whether we recognize each other or not. You know, when you stop and think about it, there are some people that you might recognize that you wouldn't be happy to see, perhaps, <laughs> or you'd be surprised to see them in heaven. And I don't believe our relationships are going to be the same as they are here on earth. We're going to behave a whole lot better. If we make it to heaven, the attitude that we're going to have toward others will be completely different. And if there's not going to be any tears in heaven, then I don't believe there'd be anything that would disappoint us or make us sad. You know, there are many false and mistaken notions that are often expressed about heaven. If heaven doesn't have tennis courts, I don't want to go. Or as the country song says, if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie or ain't a lot like Texas, I don't want to go. Well, I don't mean to step on the toes of people from Texas or or that grew up in Dixie. But, you know, this is a whole lot more important than wanting to find something that you knew while you lived here upon this earth. To those people, I would say, I don't think anyone's going to force you to go anywhere you don't want to go, unless it's the devil. The devil's going to force a lot of people to end up going where they didn't want to go, where they won't be happy that they've gone. Some folks have gotten so far away from what the Bible teaches us about heaven that they seem today to be envisioning a dream world of their own. Instead of the holy dwelling place of God, instead of the home of the righteous, they have envisioned some kind of fantasy island. 
I know there was a television show on years ago called that, where people wanted to go where they could have life exactly like it would please them. And so their fantasy became true on that island. And I think that there are people that think of heaven that way. They're expecting it to be the very thing that they wanted and sought for here upon the earth. As each person's dream or desires may differ, somehow heaven is thought to be just as each individual dreams or desires. Here's how one well-known denominational preacher presents his picture of heaven. He says, to the golfer, heaven will have the greatest golf courses in the world. No long delays, no water hazards, and no duffed shots. You know, I like to play golf. I don't get much of a chance to play anymore. But I've enjoyed playing golf. It's a great game. But to even think about heaven being the place where the golfer will enjoy great golf is certainly something that doesn't represent what we find in God's Word and the concern that we should have for what will take us to that place. He says, to the fishermen, heaven will be a place where the fish are always biting. And you don't have to use stinky bait. You don't even have to have a license. To the chocolate lover, heaven will be one big candy store with no calories and no regrets. He says, to the child, heaven will be like Toys R Us. I think they may be out of business now. But imagine going into a store like that, and you can have any toy that you want. He says, to the shopper, heaven will be the greatest mall in the world with no crowds, no parking problems, and no limit on your charge card. You have to wonder what some people are thinking about when they sing the song, Won't It Be Wonderful There? What are they thinking about? What are the visions that they have in mind when they are singing about heaven that way? Are such fanciful thoughts dancing through their heads? You know, this is certainly not what we find in the Word of God. God doesn't speak on those kinds of terms. And, you know, whenever we're thinking about vain and worldly things, we're not going to be thinking about what God wants us to do and how He wants us to live and speak and act in order to go to heaven. Unless we can focus on what God tells us about this place and how to get there, then we might miss it. All of us must avoid notions of it that are only projections of what we like and desire in this present life. We get so involved in this present life and what we want in this present life, what we'd like to have in this present life, that somehow we make those projections on where we know we're going to end up eternally. But I think if we're interested in this present life to that extent, that we want heaven to be like that, it's very likely that we may not be going there. In the Bible, there are some wonderful word pictures that we find that tell us what heaven will be like. And I hope they will make you desire to go there even more after we've considered them tonight. These word pictures and how the Bible speaks about heaven. The Bible says, first of all, that heaven will be like a reward. Now we all know what a reward is. Eat your vegetables, Johnny, and you can have some cake. It's a reward. Work hard on your school lessons, Jenny, and you will get good grades. Go to work tomorrow. Why? Because you love your job and can't wait to get back there? No. It's because you know you get paid for working so hard. And that's 
why we should think of heaven as a reward, a reward for our effort, for our labors here upon the earth, to show that we desire to go there, that we are planning to make that trip. The Bible tells us that God wants to motivate us with a heavenly reward. Think about these passages from the New Testament. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. These are the words of Jesus. He said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And then, But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Luke chapter 6 and verse 35. And then this one, Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 8. Here's another statement. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. And then this one. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Revelation 22 and verse 17. From these statements, we can recognize this is what heaven is. It's a reward. It's a reward for the godly, a reward for the faithful, a reward for the workers of God, for those who are part of the family of God. Our Heavenly Father and our dear Savior want us to all be laying up for ourselves treasures. But remember where Jesus said He wants us to lay those up. Not here upon the earth. He said those that lay up treasures here upon the earth are focused on earthly things. And if we spend all of our days doing that, we'll have nothing to look forward to because we'll have no reward in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is the place where moth and rust does not consume and where thieves do not break through and steal. It's safe there. The things we have here upon the earth may be lost. They may be stolen. They may be destroyed. We lose them. There are all kinds of things that can happen to our treasure. Our treasure needs to be laid up in heaven because heaven is our reward. The Bible also says that heaven will be like an inheritance. Our New Testaments teach us that heaven will be an inheritance for the redeemed of God who are in Christ Jesus. If you've never come to Christ, you can't have the inheritance. You're not related to him. But if you are a child of God and a follower of the Lamb, then you can have that inheritance that the Lord Jesus wants you to have. An inheritance for the redeemed of God. Just think how important it will be for the faithful child of God. Suppose you have a rich uncle, and you've loved him all of your life. You've taken care of him. When he got sick, you were there at his bedside. When he was on his deathbed, you began to take care of him, and no one else was around. No one else helped him, but you loved him, and he loved you. And after his death, you go to the reading of the will, and you are shocked and saddened to learn that all that he had, this rich uncle, all that he had is going to some um, second cousin of yours that's no good. Wouldn't you feel bad about that? But you know, nothing like that will ever happen in heaven. We're not going to be disappointed. We're not going to be left out. We're not going to be left 
without a treasure, without reward. Think about how this is the kind of scenario that we see here upon the earth many times, but it will never happen in heaven. What it will be like in heaven. Listen to these words from God about our heavenly inheritance. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The words of the Apostle Paul in Acts 20, verse 32. And listen to him speak again. Uh, I've jumped ahead. I'm sorry about that. For this you know that no fornicator, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. God is telling us that heaven is important, and what it will be like is finding our inheritance. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 1 and verse 12. He is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews 9 and verse 15. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What do we have in our inheritance? What is this going to be? And he answers and says that this is to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved for us. It's being built for us. It's being set aside by God and Christ for the faithful. The Bible says three things about this inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven. First of all, it is incorruptible. Somehow or another, I get all those points up there and I'm thinking that I'm going to get to them one at a time, but at least we're getting to them. Incorruptible and then undefiled and then that does not fade away. And the last statement, reserved in heaven for you. Those are such important statements because they tell us what heaven will be like. People want to know what heaven is going to be like. And sometimes they fail to see the answers right here in the Word of God. It's going to be a place, our inheritance is a place that is incorruptible. What things on the earth today are incorruptible? Do you have a new car? How long do you think it will stay that? Well, I hate to say it because I know <laughs> that these sweet folks who fed us last night uh, have a new car, and it's pretty. I saw it out there. But I, I bet David's already thinking about, you know, when will that first ding happen to it, a rock thrown or somebody uh, nudge it and make a dent in it. Uh, it's just that way. It's that way for all of us. How long do you think it will stay new? Think about the rust and the wear and the decay and the scratches and the dents and the depreciation. But nothing like that in heaven because it's a place that's incorruptible. Only on earth do we see corruption. Our inheritance in heaven, the Bible says, is incorruptible. The Bible says our inheritance is undefiled. But you know we can't say that about the world that we live in today. We couldn't say that about our own souls because... We've been stained with sin. 
And so we know that we have been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. But many times, even after we've done that, we, we soil our souls and we stain our hearts. Our world is defiled. It is contaminated. It is polluted. But think of heaven, a place of no contamination, no trash collecting of any kind. Unspoiled, undefiled, a place without sin, a place without sickness, a place without misery, a place without darkness, without heartache, and without death. A place that is undefiled. A place where we will always be the children of God without blemish. I love that verse because I have so many blemishes, real and spiritual, from time to time. But heaven will be a place without blemish. Philippians 1 or Philippians 2, verse 15. That's the American Standard translation. The Bible says our inheritance does not fade away. But all that we have experience with here on earth are things that do fade away. Just think about it. Paint fades. Beautiful flowers fade. Pretty beautiful sunsets fade away so quickly. We ate out with a fine family tonight and as we came out, we saw a beautiful rainbow, and we saw the beautiful sky, the, the sunset, and I let Charlotte drive so that I could maybe try to get her phone and take a picture, but you know, it was gone before I could. And that's the way things happen here upon the earth. As you grow older, your health fades. Happiness and earthly joys fade for us at times. But heaven's glory will never fade. The beauty of heaven, the joy of eternal salvation, the praises of our God and our King, the length of our inheritance, none of that will ever fade. None of it will ever pass away. No one will ever say, oh, oh I missed that. Oh, it's gone. Oh, we lost that. No. In heaven we'll always have the joys and blessings of a place that is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. And last of all, in this passage it says in the Bible, it's reserved in heaven for you. You have made your reservation, haven't you? I hope you have. A reservation for heaven is made by obeying Jesus Christ and becoming a child of God, being a follower of the Lord, being faithful. You're going to sin, you're going to mess up, all of us do. Every earthly being except our Lord did and does. But the Lord has provided a way for us to be forgiven, a way for us to be made right again. And we have to make sure that our reservation is secure. You know, you can make a reservation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to keep it. You have to be sure and be faithful and make sure that heaven is a place reserved for you because of the way that you've lived. Another thing that we find in the Bible, another word picture of what heaven will be like is that it's a rest. This is one of the most comforting and beautiful things about heaven is that it will be a place of rest for God's people, especially for those of us that grow old. Think about growing old. And as you do, the older you get, the more rest you want, the more rest you need, the more rest you look forward to. And I've talked to so many that came to the end of their life and they would speak of heaven as a place they were anticipating. My father prayed before he took his last breath. I was sitting beside him the night that he died. 
and he prayed that it might be over, the suffering, the pain might be over for him, and that he could go to be with God and be at rest. And that's what we have promised when we think about our inheritance in heaven. Jesus promised that we could have rest if we come to him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. You know, brethren, we think so much about rest for our bodies. And, well, we should, because they, they do wear down. They do get tired. They do desperately need rest. And some of us are not very good about resting like we should that would make our bodies and our mind work a lot better. I know that I could use some more physical rest. But the most important rest that we ought to be seeking is the soul rest, the spiritual rest. And that's what will make us strong and make sure that we're ready for the rest to our souls that come whenever we get to heaven. Jesus promised that it comes to us when we obey the gospel. But you know, when you obey the gospel, you're just beginning the journey. You're just taking those first steps. The fullest rest for us will be in heaven. I believe that we'll have it before we get to heaven. Because I know the Bible says that in the Revelation letter, there are those God wants John to write about that are blessed in the Lord, that their works may follow them. And he tells John that they rest from their work, from their labors. And so those that we've known that have been faithful, that have been children of God, maybe some of your family, some of your brethren from this very church, and the life that you've lived, wherever you've lived it, you know of those souls that have gone on. And the place the Bible describes of is a place of rest in the paradise of God. Just like that story of, of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man died and lifted up his eyes in Hades and torments and said, I am in anguish in this flame. But Lazarus, he saw in Abraham's bosom in a place of rest. And that's where we know our Savior was when he died, in a place of rest, a place where he would come back from. But we know that whenever we go to that unseen realm, if we've lived as we should, we're going to go into that intermediate state called Hades or Sheol, and it's the place where the soul can be at rest. Or it can be a place of punishment. It depends upon how we've lived. The writer of the Hebrew epistle compared the promised land of Canaan for the Israelites to the heavenly rest for believers and the followers of Jesus. Would you look at your Bible in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 1. I read part of this uh, statement last night when we were studying something different. But notice the language that the Hebrew writer, I believe probably the Apostle Paul, was writing to his brethren and warning them about the dangers of missing heaven and the rest that God had for them. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 12, he says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. 
while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that, he, that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Do you know who he's talking about here? Do you, do you remember the story of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt? How they murmured against God and murmured against Moses and how they complained and how they wanted to go back to Egypt. And indeed they did go back to Egypt. Stephen said in his sermon in Acts, in their hearts they went back to Egypt. And with whom was God not pleased? Those people. And so he allowed them to all perish in the wilderness. Think about it. All that first generation perished. Only the children and grandchildren got in when they came to enter the promised land. These people were not able to enter God's rest. And you know what he's saying now to these people of his day, Paul's day, if Paul was the writer of Hebrews or whoever it was. He's saying, you folks may miss it too, just like they did. God has a rest for you in heaven. And if you're not careful, you'll miss it. Chapter 4, read a few verses there. Um, verse 1, beginning here. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Um, we need to recognize that we can come short of getting to heaven and of getting to the rest that God has prepared for the righteous. Now the Hebrew writer tells these first century Christians, you too have a promise that remains. You don't have it yet. It's not yours yet. That of entering into God's rest. And he's talking about heaven. It's so easy for somebody to miss it here unless they understand uh, what it is that Paul is talking about. It's not that they're going to be moving to another country and resting there. It's the country of heaven that he's writing about. And so that of entering into God's rest heaven. And he tells them, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Verse 1. Now listen as he speaks to them and to us today about how serious it is that we not miss our own entering into God's rest. Read verses 2 through 11 of chapter 4. He says, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. In other the good news, you're getting out of Egypt and out of slavery and you're going to a promised land. And our promised land is heaven. So the gospel was preached to them just as it is to us. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter into that rest, as he has said, so I swear in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. He's quoting about the Old Testament people that missed it. And he's applying it to New Testament people that might miss it if they're not careful. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he who has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day 
saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, you know, it wasn't Joshua that gave them the rest that Paul is talking about here. Um, uh, he, after, he, he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There's another day of rest. What is that rest? It's heaven. And we certainly don't want to miss it. Something interesting to consider here is that before rest comes, there is work or diligent effort. It may not be that way in the dictionary. In the dictionary, it's just the opposite. You know, um, uh, the work uh, is after the rest, but it's not that way with God. It's the rest uh, that comes after the work. We can enter into the rest, but to do so, we have to be diligent, verse 11. And we have to recognize that, uh, that the rest always comes after the work. I knew a man in Illinois, I wrote this down when I was writing this sermon recently, I knew, I knew a man in Illinois, um, up there close to where uh, Russ and his wife are from, where I used to preach. He retired from his company, but he told me that he hated retirement. At his job, he was a big boss, and everyone else but him had to work. He couldn't wait to retire and just play golf, but when he did, he didn't really enjoy doing nothing. He said he wished that he had worked harder so that he could have enjoyed the time of rest. I'll never forget him talking to me about that, how he regretted his life. And you see, brethren, we could make the same mistake about our spiritual lives and say, oh, if I'd only realized I would have worked harder for the Lord, I would have done His will, I would have been diligent, and I wouldn't have missed heaven. How can we really look forward to heaven as a place of rest if we haven't worked? Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Revelation 14, 13. We sang how beautiful heaven must be, sweet home of the happy and free, fair haven of rest for the weary, for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. And we sang, we will rest in the fair and happy land by and by. Or land of rest, for thee I sigh. When shall the moment come when I will lay my armor by and dwell in peace at home? Or we sang, we'll work till Jesus comes, then we'll be gathered home. Folks, that's the only ones that are going to be gathered home, is the ones who've worked. Home is mentioned here, and that leads us to our final point tonight, that heaven is going to be a wonderful home. This is probably the most touching and precious thing to most of us when we think about heaven, when we think about it as our home. We've all heard about sayings about home. Nothing compares with home. There's no place like home. Home is a place where when you go there, they have to take you in. I'm always glad for that. They always have to take you in. Home, sweet home. Welcome home. Have you ever been homesick? Now think about heaven, our reward, our inheritance, our resting place, our heavenly home. This is our glorious hope. 
This is the place we desire more than anything else, especially as we near the end of our earthly lives. We realize we're closer. We realize we're only a step away. The step of death will take us into that realm where we will have an earthly life no more. Listen to the promise of that heavenly home in the Word of God. Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And then another passage in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I was finishing a meeting up north in northern Indiana several years ago, and I wanted to see my mother, who lives in Plainfield, Indiana, on my way to the airport to fly back to Florida. So I called her about midweek and said, Mama, I'm going to try to drive down in the rental car, and I'm going to try to see you and stay with you that night before I go to the airport and fly back home. And she said, Oh, Bob, I'm not going to be here. Uh, they had made plans, and my brother was going to drive her up to my sister's who who lives in Wisconsin, uh, but mom said, now you come ahead, you come ahead, and I'll leave the key in the special place where you know it is. All of us kids know where it is. And, and you just get that key and you let yourself in, and I'll make sure and have the bed ready for you. And so that's what I did. Drove back, but it wasn't exciting. I didn't anticipate anything because my mom wasn't there. And that was a, one of the saddest nights. If I couldn't be with Charlotte yet by getting home, and I couldn't be with my mom, it just wasn't a good time for me. It was a, it was a difficult night. And I think about heaven that way. When we go home, we expect, expect to see the people that we love. We want to be with the people that we care about. And that's the special thing about heaven, is that we're going to find those people there. Many of them we will have known, and some of them we won't. And I don't know whether we'll know each other or not, but I believe God will make us happy either way. And I believe that if you had the realization that somebody you loved and cared about upon this earth was not there, you'd be crying, but the Bible says there's no tears in heaven. So we're not going to be able to reflect upon things that are sad. I don't know. I, you know, I've preached that all my life, that that um, there, there'll be no tears in heaven. But, you know, God actually says that He will wipe away all tears. So maybe we will have some tears, but they'll not stay because God will wipe them away. But it's truly going to be a special place because of who will be there. God will be there. We'll see Him for the first time, face to face. We'll see Jesus. We'll see the Holy Spirit. We'll see those great apostles that we read about, the great heroes of the Old Testament. We'll see those people that love the Lord. We'll be with the angels, all of our faithful friends and brethren. Surely, as it says in Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David must have known something about it. How true and meaningful it is when we sing, This world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And then the last part of the song says, I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I'm looking forward to that.
I haven't got there yet. This world has been my home for 74 years. And you get so comfortable with it, with the people, with the places, with the great restaurants that you have down here and, and all the wonderful things about this life. But you know what? I've been around some very wonderful people who have said to me, I can't wait to get to heaven. And that's what this song says. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I think that's going to be a good thing that will come for me. I hope it will. And I hope it will for you. There's an old story that I found in a book that I got written by a gospel preacher who lived several years ago. He may be gone now. And I, I didn't bring it up here in my notes, but I can tell you all about it from memory. I can't even remember his last name, but his first name is Jack. And he wrote about his son. He said when our, our son was two years old, he developed polio. And he was then confined to the house. And he had to walk on crutches and all the things that go with polio. And Jack said when that happened to him, he would lay on the couch most days, and he learned to sing, and he learned to make up songs. And that was the way he had of, of getting out uh, of the situation that he was in, by singing. He sang, and he said some of them were terrible songs. Some of the songs he wrote were the worst songs he'd, he'd ever heard. But he loved to hear his song uh, that his child was singing. And he said he stopped singing one day. He was working in the, in the room where the boy was, uh, hanging a picture on the wall, and and the son suddenly stopped and said, Dad, Dad, are there going to be any crippled boys in heaven? And Jack said, I had trouble keeping my voice steady when I said, no, son. No cripples in heaven. No sightless people in heaven. No blind. No sick. No diseased. No hurting. No dying. And that's why heaven will be such a wonderful place for all of us. Something that we've never experienced, but we can. And he said, as I went back to work, I heard him say, boy, I just can't wait to get there. And that's what I was, I was supposed to be ready to show you this. He said, I wish I could hurry up and go. Well, I'm, I'm satisfied Many of us are not quite ready yet. There are a lot of things we'd like to do. Uh, maybe things we'd like to do to get ready for this place and be better fit for it. But think about a youngster who just can't wait to go. And that's the way it is with people who realize the faith and hope that they have in Christ is real. And that they're ready to make that transition to a different place. And they can rest on the promises and the beauty of the, of the statements we have in the Word of God about the place that God has prepared for those that love Him. Do you love Him tonight? Do you love Jesus enough to confess Him? Do you love Him enough to turn away from your sinful life? Do you love Him enough to make a commitment? Don't just stay where you are. Don't just say, well, I come to church, and that should be enough. 
Recognize what you need to be doing. You need to be working. You need to be planning. You need to be purposing. You need to be laying up treasure. And you may not have that much time left. Even if you only have one day, it's worth it to make the change and leave the side of the devil and come over to the Lord's side. And Jesus makes it possible for you to do that. Oh, how wonderful that we can be saved from our sins. Would you make that choice tonight? If so, we'll welcome you and we'll encourage you and we'll strengthen you all we can. Just let us know you're willing and you're ready to do it. And we'll accept you and help you to do it while we stand and while we sing.